We're in Matthew chapter 6. As we've been doing each week, we've been standing together and reading the Lord's Prayer together. So would you join me in standing and we will read this together. From the ESV, we have the words on the screen behind me as well. Jesus is instructing his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we come to you today not only asking that you teach us to pray, but ask that you would teach us just how it's possible that we could pray these words, forgive us our debts. God, I pray that we would not only encounter truth today, but that we would encounter the God who forgives sins. Lord, would you teach us, encourage us, comfort us. But God, I pray that you would change us, that you'd transform us from the inside out, that we would not only be forgiven people, but we would be forgiving people. And so Lord, have your way among us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, there's a variety of words in the New Testament for sin. Okay, one word for sin other than sin is transgression. Sometimes sin is described as trespass. But here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses the word debt to describe our sin. Now, Debt in a modern context is primarily understood in financial terms, right? If you borrow money, you are in debt until you pay it back and usually with interest. But in the ancient world, debt had a broader context, had a broader understanding. It wasn't only financial, but it was understood relationally as well. So if you wronged somebody, you owed them. And in the Old Testament, what you owed them is defined as eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, wound for wound, burn for burn. Whatever harm you caused, there was a penalty that fit the crime. And so you owed restitution, retribution, you owed the person that you wronged, whatever damage you caused. But also, if somebody did you a kindness, you owed them not only a debt of gratitude, but it was expected that you would look for opportunities to reciprocate that kindness at some point in time. You were relationally indebted to that person. And so in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to ask our Father in heaven to forgive our debts. Now, at the very heart of this, before we even continue and and break this down even more, at the very heart of this prayer is the acknowledgement that we do, in fact, owe God a debt. 
Jesus wouldn't ask us to pray to forgive our debts if we didn't have a debt before God. See, and all of this is describing the debt that we owe for sin. Sin is not just breaking God's rules. See, God doesn't just have these rules, these things that like, well, I don't like this. And they're, you know, just uh, some random uh, assortment of laws. I don't like this. Don't do this. And if you do this thing, then I'm just going to be, I'm going to be mad at you. The sin's not just breaking God's arbitrary rules. Sin is understood in scripture as slandering God's reputation. Okay, sin is presenting lies about God. It's wronging him. Think about someone slandering you. How does that feel? Telling lies about you. It's not, it's not okay. And so sin is slandering God. Let me explain how this works. You were created in the image of God. Okay, every human being created in the image of God and placed in the world to put that image of God, the glory of God, the character of God, the love of God on display. People were supposed to be able to look at human beings. The world was supposed to be able to look at human beings, the angels from heaven to look at human beings and say, wow, that's what God is like. The person sitting next to you is supposed to be able to look at you and say, this is what God is like. Now, do any of us want anyone in this room to make decisions about God based on what they see in our lives? No, you know, that's not what God is like. But because we were made to do this, we can't help but put an image of God on display in the way that we live, but the image of God we put on display is a false image. We tell the world that God is greedy when we're greedy. We tell the world that, that God is, you know, uh, wh- whatever it is, fill in the blank with whatever your proclivity is. But we tell the world that when we don't forgive, that God is unforgiving. We tell the world, we show the world, this is what God is like. And if that is not in fact what God is like, then it's slander. We're telling lies about God. We're misrepresenting God. And so sin is betrayal of the one who made us in his image and gave us authority to put his glory on display to the world. And so when we sin, when we slander God, when we think or act in a way that is different, contrary to the way that God would think or act, it creates a debt. It's not financial, but it's real. Okay, think back. The relational debt. You wound somebody, you owe them. And so it creates this debt. It's not a financial debt, but it's a real debt. And until that debt is paid, our relationship suffers. Think about someone who slanders you or sins against you. Until there is reconciliation, 
which requires that person to acknowledge their fault and apologize for their fault and requires you to forgive their fault until there is reconciliation. There's just a weirdness between you and that person. You can pretend it's not there, but you know it's there. Anyone who's married, who has allowed an argument, a disagreement, a wrong to go unacknowledged for a season knows what it's like to just have that weirdness that lack of intimacy, that lack of closeness, that separation between you and them. Or maybe it's with a child or a parent or a friend. You know that when there's sin in the relationship that's not dealt with, there's just something off. The same is true for our relationship with God. Until that debt is paid for, it affects our relationship with God. And so maybe you're experiencing a season in your life of a lack of intimacy with God, a lack of closeness with him in prayer, a lack of communion with the body of Christ when you come to church or to home group or to a prayer meeting or to worship. And there's just this between you and others and between you and God. God wants you to experience freedom from that weirdness, freedom from what a friend of mine calls the thingness that sin creates. It just creates a thing in your life. God wants you to experience freedom from your sin. He wants you to experience restored intimacy with him today. And so we owe God a debt because of sin. This is why Jesus tells us, ask for forgiveness of your debts because there is a debt. First John 1.10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want to talk to the Christian in the room. If you're here and you're a Christian, it's one thing to acknowledge that sin creates a debt. It's a different thing to recognize that when there's sin in your life that creates a debt and you pretend like it's not there, We not only do the initial slandering of God by our sin, but there's an additional consequence when we are not repentant, when we don't confess that sin, we end up telling the world, not only this is what God is like, but that God's okay with this kind of thing in my life. We not only, we not only pretend like our sin's not there, but we tell the world that it's okay, that God's all right with it. And he's not. And so when we live in this unrepentant, unconfessed sin, and we just pretend like it's okay, we not only tell the world that God is like something that he's not, but we also tell the world that God's okay with us living like that. And it's not, it just compounds debt. It compounds debt. We roll one debt into another debt and it becomes this massive debt that we can't possibly pay. I used to sell cars for a living. I've talked about it a little bit when I was like 20. I worked for a Ford dealership in a Royal Grande. And people would do this thing. They would, they would have a car and the car would be worth less than they owed. It's called being upside down. They'd be way upside down. And they would come in and they would trade their car in for like thousands of dollars, even less than it was worth. And they would roll that debt into new debt, into a brand new car. 
And then they would drive that car off the lot. It would immediately go down in value by like $10,000. And they're just completely over their heads in debt with a payment that they can't afford. It's just compounding debt. And so we have this debt from sin. And if we don't deal with it, we continue to lie about it or we continue to hide it. It's just compounding debt, compounding sin, compounding consequences. Remember, if we say we have not sinned, we call God a liar. God says, hey, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we say, if I haven't, we call him a liar. So Jesus invites us in the Lord's Prayer to come to God for the forgiveness of our debts. Now, for some of you, you've experienced like crushing financial debt. Um, I know there's been seasons in my life just paying more than $1,000 a month in student debt. And I remember the freedom that came November 1st, 2020, when I made that last payment. Some of you know what it's like to live under crushing debt. Imagine the audacity that you must have in like the, 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 the heights of, of uh, indebtedness to go to your creditor whether Chase or like your mortgage lender or whatever it is, and walk up to the desk and say, I'd like you to forgive my debt. I'll take my forgiveness, please. It's not going to happen. You might be able to negotiate like a smaller monthly payment. You might be able to negotiate a smaller payoff plan, uh, a playoff pay, payoff amount. You might be able to negotiate something, but they're not going to cancel your debt because that would be bad business be terrible business, right? You not only lose the gain that you would have received through all of the interest, but you lose the principal balance that was originally lent to you. It's, it's, it's bad business to just forgive debt. You see, debt doesn't just disappear. It can't disappear. Somebody has to pay the debt whether it's the borrower or the lender, somebody pays the debt. It doesn't just go away. Somebody takes the loss. And when the lender takes the loss upon themselves, it's called forgiveness. If you uh, are owed money because someone... I don't know, like took a baseball bat to your car or something like that. They just caused vandalism and they, they owe you money. And you say, don't worry, I'll pay to have it fixed. You take the debt on yourself and they are forgiven of it. When the lender pays the debt, it's called forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a decision to not require payment for a debt that is owed. If forgiveness is a decision to not require payment for a debt that is owed. Now, it's a decision that you can make today to forgive someone, but it will be a process to live in light of that decision for the rest of your life, for the rest of that relationship, to not require payment. And so in the financial world, this makes sense right? You owe me something, it's forgiven, I'm not going to require payment. 
But in the relational sense, it's not as easy to wrap our minds around. Okay, if you do something to hurt somebody, there may not be a financial cost, but there's a physical cost, there's an emotional cost, there's a relational cost or a social cost. And forgiveness in those senses mean that you refuse to make them pay. Right? You know those situations. You'll pay for that. Oh, I'm going to make them pay. I tell my kids all the time jokingly when they pray a pra- play a practical joke on me, daddy doesn't get even, daddy gets ahead. Forgiveness is not requiring them to pay. Now listen to this. Okay, listen to me. Your sin is real. Your debt is real. It is worse than you think. Okay, your sin and your debt is worse than you think. And the common misconception about forgiveness is that God says, hey, it's no big deal. Don't even worry about it. It's nothing. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness requires that we acknowledge the full weight of our sin, the full weight of the pain that we've caused, the wound that we've caused. It is a big deal. Talk to people all the time who talk about horrific abuse that they've experienced in their life. And I say, I'm so sorry. And they say, it's okay. It's not okay. The sins, the wounds that have been inflicted upon you by people that you love, by strangers, whatever it is, if you have been hurt, wronged, abused, it's not okay. Forgiveness isn't sweeping it under the rug and saying, well, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Your sin against God, your sin against one another, my sin against others in my life, my sin against God, it's a big deal. But isn't it good news that God is not looking to make you pay? God's not sitting there in heaven, ho, 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 you'll pay for that. Just you wait, lightning bolt, Hurricane Hillary. It's not, he's not looking to make you pay. He's not some loan shark coming after the money that you owe him. God's not looking to make you pay because he knows you can't. You can't make the payment. See, the cost of the debt that we owe for sin is our lives. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, If you disobey, if you sin against me, you will surely die. They ate and they died. They were removed from the tree of life so that they would not be able to eat of it and live forever. The consequence is death. The New Testament teaches that the wages of sin is death. What you owe for your sin is your very life. And God has every right to demand it of us. Listen, if you lie to a stranger, okay, still a sin, but the consequences like might not be immediately experienced. You lie to a friend, okay, because of the relationship and because of the trust there, that that has significant consequences. You lie to a spouse, 
because of the trust and the commitment and the love and the history there. There are consequences. You lie to an eternal, infinitely loving creator. It is eternal, infinite consequences. Depending on the relationship, the love, the trust, and the authority of the one that you sin against, there are consequences. And every world religion, every philosophy has these ideas about how to deal with the debt, how to deal with the guilt, how to adjust human behavior and how to live a better life. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ actually has a solution for debt. Okay, you might have, you might know of other philosophies and other religions where you know life is just a balance, and as long as you have more good deeds than bad deeds, you'll be okay. That's called works righteousness. That is working your way to God, making yourself worthy of God's presence, of God's blessing. Others will uh, create opportunities for you to work off the debt. Okay, yeah, you did this thing. It was not okay. But, you know, do these rituals, pray these prayers, do this thing, spend some time in purgatory, and then God, after a while, will be okay with you. That's penance. That's not forgiveness. Okay, or karma, right? Based on your goodness and badness, then good things or bad things will come into your life so that the universe will ultimately be balanced out. Okay? It all depends on what you do, all of it. But only the gospel of Jesus Christ offers forgiveness. Jesus tells us to pray, Father, forgive us. Not, Father, give me opportunities to pay off my debt. Father, forgive me opportunities to show you how sorry I am. No, Father, forgive us our debts, which again indicates that we have debt, but it also indicates that forgiveness is possible. And all that is required for our sin to be forgiven is for God to not require payment and to take the loss himself. All that is required for you to be forgiven for you to be forgiven is for not to require payment of you, which means that he must take the loss himself. And this is exactly what happened on the cross. God took the loss himself on the cross. God paid the price for your debt in Christ. Jesus infinite perfection and righteousness was traded for your sin. His life for yours. And through faith in that, trust in that, believing in that, receiving that payment on your behalf, your sin is forgiven. And before he died, Jesus on the cross cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished, which many scholars believe was actually a banking term, popular, in, like that was used in the banking world in the ancient times, which roughly translated to paid in full. It's finished. It's done. It's paid for. 
Cancel it from the record. Paid in full. Jesus on the cross paid your debt in full. And because of the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the new covenant, talking about the the communion cup, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 14, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so if we acknowledge our sin, if we acknowledge our spiritual debt and we confess that we have no ability to pay for it, but that trusting, but we trust in Jesus that our debt is paid in full, then you are forgiven. God, here's my sin. I can't pay for it. But I recognize that the blood of Christ has paid for my sin. I trust in the blood of Jesus to cover my sin and not my own works. Scripture says you are forgiven. But if you refuse to receive the blood of Jesus as payment for your debt and demand to be accepted by God on the basis of your own goodness, it'll never be done. You will not be able to stand. You cannot do enough good to overcome the sin in your own life. It's not a balance. One sin, okay? Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they were expelled from God's presence. One sin creates that weirdness in the relationship between you and God, that distance, that separation, that chasm that the blood of Jesus covers and pays for. And all you need to do is receive it by trusting in Jesus. And this reception of God's forgiveness has massive implications in our lives, but I want to give two powerful results of experiencing this kind of forgiveness. When we know this kind of forgiveness, when we know that our sin is forgiven in Christ, we become forgiving people. When you know the debt in your life that has been paid for by Jesus, you then become a forgiving person. The reality of this is reflected in, uh, in what Jesus says right after this. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, now think about that. Go before God, aware of all of those who have sinned against you. And say, God, as I have forgiven all of these people, in the same way that I have forgiven all of these people, would you forgive me? Does anybody want that? Do you want the same forgiveness from God that you extend to other people? I would like to say that, but no, I still struggle to hold grudges. I still struggle with forgiveness. But Jesus says that that is actually the implication of being forgiven. There's, uh, 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 he, he, he adds on at the end of our, our passage in Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's pretty clear. Forgive and be forgiven. Don't forgive you're not forgiven. Jesus tells a parable uh, that says something very similar in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. Now, really quickly, we don't use talents today to pay for things. 10,000 talents. Today, in today's money, roughly the equivalent of $3 billion. Okay? This guy owes his master $3 billion. It's an insurmountable debt. And since he could not pay, obviously, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. In today's money, 115 bucks, okay? $115. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until you should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Why is this? How can forgiveness be granted to us by grace through faith not according to works, as Ephesians 2 says, so that no man may boast. We've been saved by grace through faith. How can Jesus then say, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven? This feels like works righteousness sometimes, right? Or it feels like penance. It feels like I forgave you, but now you got to do me a solid and forgive other people. How can Jesus say this? But listen, it actually makes complete sense. To deny somebody forgiveness is to deny the power by which you are forgiven, which is the cross. See, if the cross is enough to forgive your sin before God, it's certainly enough to forgive somebody else's sin against you. If the cross is not enough in your mind to cover the sin of someone who has wronged you, then you believe in a weak, broken, powerless cross, an empty gospel, and not the true person and work of Jesus Christ. But if the cross is enough to cover your debt, then it's certainly enough to cover the debt that somebody owes you. And so to deny the power of the cross in somebody else's life is evidence that you have not truly received the power of the cross in your own life. But someone who knows the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, 
Someone who knows the power of what it means to have all their debt paid for. Knows that the very least that is expected of us is to forgive one another. When the church is so aware of what God has done for us, the proper, the proper response is to be generous in our forgiveness with one another. And this is something that happens naturally in our lives by the presence of the Holy Spirit who teaches us these things. I'll tell you one of the most miraculous evidences of the existence of God, the power of salvation that I've ever experienced in my life. I was not raised in a Christian house. Um, my parents were not believers. And there was a family feud between my dad and his siblings and some of the extended family. Really gnarly stuff, really gnarly betrayal kind of stuff. I had heard my dad say some, uh, my dad did not mince words. Heard him say some incredibly hateful, spiteful. My dad knew how to hold a grudge. And then one day, my dad met Jesus. And I remember talking to him one day, and he, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. Cancer brought a strong man to his knees. He acknowledged all the ways that he'd been running from God and, and, and received God's grace and forgiveness. And I, I saw my dad's faith just blossom in this last season of his life. And one day we're talking and, and he was just telling me all the stuff that Jesus had done for him. And he told me that he'd even started praying for these family members. Family members that if I told you the words that he said, I would be disqualified like could not stand up here. He told me that he'd been praying for these family members and he saw my jaw hit the floor. And my dad goes like, just like this. He says, well, after learning all that Jesus has done for me to love and save and forgive me, I figure it's the least I could do to pray for them. My dad, raised Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school, graduated from Bishop Diego. I said, dad, well, you know, scripture says that if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, then neither will my father in heaven forgive you. My dad goes, it says that? It's like, dad, you were raised Catholic. It's literally the next line after the Lord's prayer. Like it's, it's right there. I got my Bible out. I opened it up. I showed it to him and he goes, Adam, so help me. I didn't know it said that. I never once questioned the Holy Spirit's presence in my dad's life again. It was obvious. It was the lowest common denominator. It was so clear to him. I've been forgiven of all my junk. I've been forgiven of all my slander, all my hatred of God. Every time that I gave God the bird because of things that I didn't like going on in my life, God forgave me of all of that. The least I could do is forgive this person's random little issue with me. That's the least you can do is not hold a grudge. The least you can do is not be bitter. It's been said bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting it's going to kill somebody else. So I'm going to get you. I'm going to make you pay. It doesn't work. He said, I can stop drinking this poison now. 
Because Jesus has forgiven me. I can forgive anyone, anything. Now, for some of you, that feels insurmountable because you know the pain that you've been through. You know the wounds that have been inflicted on you. And I do not want to diminish how difficult forgiveness is. But knowing what God has done for us, the logical thing, the obvious thing, the lowest common denominator, is to work toward forgiving one another, to pursue forgiveness, to pursue reconciliation between God and one another. The first result of experiencing forgiveness, experiencing reconciliation with God, is that we become a forgiving people. And the second result flows from that. When we become a forgiving people, the church becomes a safe place to confess. When we know that our brothers and sisters in Christ are forgiving people, we can come and we can confess our sin. It means we can stop hiding. It means we know that we'll be, we'll be received with grace. Scripture tells us, confess our sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. And it would be easy to say, I don't need to confess my sin to one another. I don't need to confess my sin to a human being to be saved. That's not what it says. It's not saying that if you don't confess your sins one to another, that you won't be saved. It says that you'll be healed. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the healing that you and I desperately need. I'm talking about being set free from the guilt and shame of our sin, set free from the anxiety of being found out, set free from that that not knowing if I can come to God in, in honesty and receive blessing from him because I know this thing that exists in my life. It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Some of us need to experience this healing today. Some of us are desperate for healing because we've been hiding stuff in our lives, hiding it in the dark, praying, hoping that no one will ever find out who we truly are. And it makes every relationship superficial because we refuse to commune together at the deepest level. And so all we can do is talk about the weather or all we can do is talk about the silly little things. As Hillary comes bearing down on us right now. (laughs) We need to experience freedom from that bitterness. We're not talking about confessing so that you'll be saved. We're talking about confessing so that you'll be healed. And so here's what we're going to do. 
The worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna pray. And during this time of, of worship and communion, okay, we have here the, the bread and the cup, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as the body of Christ together, as we sing, as we pray, as we respond to the truths of our sins being forgiven, we are going to confess our sins to God and experience the freedom that comes from that. We're going to experience the salvation that comes when God forgives us of our sins. But listen, some of us in this place are still holding grudges. And some of us in this place know that others have been wounded by us that we've not acknowledged. And so I'm going to ask you this. Whatever you have to do right now to make commitment to God, to maybe this afternoon, maybe you've got to call a friend and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I, do, I forgive you. Maybe you need to call a friend and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Maybe you need to do that even before you come take communion. But certainly you need to make that commitment before you take communion to go and be reconciled to your brother in Christ, to your sister in Christ. You need to make that commitment to extend forgiveness in the way that you have been forgiven by God. That person may be in this room. You may need to go to them. That person may be in another church somewhere. You may need to give them a phone call, drop by their house. But be reconciled as you have been reconciled to God. Be reconciled with one another. Confess your sins. Forgive one another. Why would we not be healed today when that is what God is offering us? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have offered forgiveness in Christ. Father, forgive us our debts. And may we also forgive those who are indebted to us. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to experience the weight of sin being lifted off our shoulders. God, as we confess, as we repent in this place and turn from our sins, I pray that we would experience freedom and healing. Holy Spirit, we're going to need your strength, your leading, your power because in our flesh, we don't want to do this. And so would you change our hearts? Would we experience the, the beauty of grace that we would rejoice in our ability to extend grace to one another? And thank you, Jesus, that your life was traded for ours that you took the loss 
so that we can be forgiven. We praise you, Lord. We don't deserve it. We could never make ourselves worthy of it. But God, in Christ, you demonstrated that you believed that though we're not worthy of forgiveness, God, you said it was worth it. Thank you. We pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.